Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today I'm asking the question, is it time to leave the Southern Baptist Convention? And question number two, what is a secondary issue anyway? So this one is a little bit longer, but it will be my only essay and podcast on the SBC issue. So I've put in some headings to divide up the thought. This is the introduction and disclaimer. Disclaimer is I'm not a fan of the SBC. I've been a member of churches who were part of the convention. I've watched the denomination for some time now. I don't like the direction they're going, and I have not for a while. I haven't said much publicly about it because ultimately it's, number one, for my pastors or elders to decide, and two, doesn't affect me much in my spiritual life or my ministry or my daily routine. So the next part here are some bureaucratic facts. A governing board is necessary, but the inevitable trajectory of any governmental agency, secular or ecclesiastical, is almost always toward bloat. With bloat comes anything from mismanagement to outright corruption. With bloat comes power and people anxious to maintain their power. With bloat comes greed and people intent on maintaining their level of living and their desire for more, more, more. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom, says Matthew 19.23. And Jesus warned us of that for a reason. Barnes Notes explains that it's because he has much to struggle with and it will require the greatest of human efforts to break away from his temptations and idols and to secure his salvation. Warren Wiersbe in the Bible Exposition Commentary reminds us it is good to possess wealth if wealth does not possess you. We cannot follow the king and live for worldly wealth. We can't serve God, and money. So the temptations that come with power and with money and with fame do cause stumbling blocks to those either wishing to enter the kingdom or to those already in it. Bloated bureaucracies are never great for the common man. Even if the people at the helm are not personally greedy for money, They must keep funding their ever-expanding empire in order to sustain it. And the SBC is no exception. This week, Todd Friel of Wretched Radio said um, in his video about this issue of the SBC, quote, the role of women is the one we should be tracking because it's the role of women that always leads to the demise of a formerly orthodox denomination. That was Todd Friel 
in his video on Wretched Radio, which I will link to. So this next little section is called The Bible on Women's Submission and Why People Hate It. We know from the time of the garden that Eve went outside her husband's authority and leading, and she sinned. Adam, for his part, passively allowed it, and the pair were punished by God. One of the punishments was that this push-me-pull-you back and forth between the husband and wife, man and woman, would continue until the curse was reversed, after all things are come to fruition. And so it has been. Women, ever since, have tried to make inroads, while men passively stood around and accepted it. For example, the Sarah Hagar Abraham and Ishmael issue comes to mind, a perfect example of woman asserting herself despite God's promise and the man passively going along. He didn't, Abraham didn't do much to quell the resulting fallout of bitter infighting either between Sarah and Hagar, Genesis 16.2 and 16.6. But Back to the convention this week. There was a push for conservative slate of officers in order to change this direction toward um, usurping women, liberal drift, CRT, and all the rest. And that slate of officers included um, president of the convention, Tom Askell candidate, to president of the SBC Pastors Conference, Bodie Bauckham, candidate, to the recording secretary, Javier Chavez, candidate, and all three candidates lost. Friel notes in his video that a year ago, Mike Stone, a conservative Southern Baptist, ran against Ed Litton, a moderate. The vote was 52% to 48% and a veritable dead heat. But this year, and that was with Ed Litton winning, but this year, the conservative was Tom Askell. Bart Barber was the moderate, but Barber won 60% of the vote to Tom Askell's 38%. Friel said, quote, whoa, that is a sea shift. That is a big change in the makeup of the SBC based on the vote. That was Todd Friel. So this next section is called When Silence is Not Golden. The convention's liberal deviation from its own faith and message and from standard orthodoxy is seen in many avenues of the numerous arms of the ever-growing bureaucracy. But the most evident is seen in its public embracing of female pastors. That's why I quoted Friel earlier that this is the issue to track. Exhibit A, for many years, at least since 1985 or so, Beth Moore preached at the pulpit on Sunday nights in her SBC church. Her pastor, Joe Bisagno, 
of the First Baptist Church of Houston gave her permission to do so because he assured a then tremulous Moore that he has the authority. Bisogno was called, quote, a great pioneer in empowering women in ministry. Moore said herself of Joe Bizon John Bisogno, quote, I've been told so many times that, Beth, there is no way you would have had that kind of favor from any other church that size in this nation like you've had from John Bisogno, end quote. So all those years did First Baptist Houston and SBC Church disagree with its own denomination stance on women preaching? No, they affirmed it, at least with lip service. From their website, it says, Houston First Baptist Church's belief are the same as those contained in the Baptist Faith and Message, the Confession of Faith of the Southern Baptist Convention. End quote. Hmm. So what are the beliefs of the SBC on this topic? The Baptist Faith and Message holds that only scripturally qualified men are qualified to hold office of pastor, which, by the way, includes preaching. It's acknowledged in that statement that even some men are not qualified to preach, and certainly not women. Yet, Sunday night after Sunday night for decades, a woman stood at the pulpit and preached in an SBC church, and not a public peep was heard about disfellowshipping that church on the basis of both scriptural violation and its own denomination's creedal stance. I thought it was interesting that Moore said she would not have received that kind of favor from any other church of that size. Apparently, size matters to the SBC, because when Rick Warren, who happens to be pastor of one of the largest churches in the SBC, ordained three women as staff pastors last year, not a peep. And also not a peep when Jen Wilkin of Matt Chandler's SBC megachurch, The Village, preached and also taught pastors in a training session, and so on and so on. Not a peep. This next section is called Public Repentance is Embarrassing. Let's not do it. It's a shame there was not a peep because the world's largest Protestant denomination should be guarding the faith and should be clear about its lines of doctrinal demarcation. But those lines are not clear. In fact, when the notion was raised at the convention floor that Warren's church should be disfellowshipped for violating both scripture and the BF and M in ordaining its women pastors, there was an agonizingly long and embarrassing public discussion on what is a pastor? And a committee was proposed to study the word. See what I mean about bloat? A denomination with a 177-year history that still can't define what a pastor is has got issues. 
like this issue, declining to condemn plagiarism in its own denomination, but passing a resolution to condemn the Russian war in Ukraine. Condemning sin in others far off is always easier, isn't it? But anyone with scripture for brains knows why Warren was given a mic and time and a platform to speak for so long. His, quote, surprise visit, maybe not a surprise to some, the surprise visit noted by the Washington Post, shifted the discussion from female ordination in his church in an unsurprising move to himself. And then he relegated female ordination to a, quote, secondary issue. So here's the next section. What is a secondary issue? The term makes it sound unimportant, but is it? I'm going to quote from Chris Honnold's with, from his excellent essay discussing that very thing. Quote, this is Chris Honnold's. What is a secondary issue? It's a poorly phrased term for those doctrinal issues that do not fall within the area of what can exclude someone from the faith by its denial. Secondary doctrines are important matters of faith where it is possible to be wrong or in error and yet still be saved. But here's the thing though. Does a doctrine being secondary relegate it to the realm of unimportant? Should Christians simply disregard their differences on these matters for the sake of unity? Or are these doctrines still important enough that churches are called not only to determine what is right, but actually apply and live by those doctrines? Of course, the answer is the last one. End quote from Chris Honnoltz from his um, essay about secondary issues called um, Rick Warren, Women Pastors and Secondary Issues, located at his blog, slavetothekingcom which I'll link to. So here's the next little bit. The next little section is all lost. So where does this leave us? Todd Friel published his response video this week asking the question, is it time to leave the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, that's for individual churches to decide, Friel said, and he cautioned against making charges against churches that stay, or making charges against churches that go. He said, quote, let us have peace among those brethren, and let us not snipe at one another if we make a different decision on this, end quote. But Friel also said, quote, what do you do right now? Pastor, parishioner, change your focus. Stop studying the SBC. Please don't spend your time and energy wondering what they're up to. As a local church, especially you, dear pastor, your responsibility is for your people, not to a convention. And while I recognize it is tempting 
to sniff around in the politics of the SBC. It is not the local church or the local pastor in a local church to fix the SBC. That is not your call. Your call is to your people. Instead of asking, what's the status of the SBC? Ask yourself the question, what is best for my local body? What is best for my people? How can I best tend to the sheep? What will be the best decision for them? If that means you leave the SBC, then that could be your conclusion. And Todd Friel quote back to me now. As for my daily spiritual life, what the SBC does or doesn't do doesn't affect me much. Yes, I get angry when I see smears and rumors and bad acts. I hope it's a righteous anger. I get dismayed when I see blatant sin overlooked, plagiarism, or even applauded female ordination. But then I turn away from what upsets me to tend my own tiny sphere, my life, my work, and my church. And I see much good. I hear tales of homosexuals who initially rejected the gospel, only later succumbed to the grace of God, repented, and come to a serious, profound faith and is now vocal against homosexuality. I see laborers in my church driving into the 106-degree heat to grab the catering for our dinner tonight, cheerfully. I see elders and teachers messaging one another with doctrinal points to discuss and hash out before conferring it on us students in the pews. I see discipling and joy and kingdom work. That is a much better view than the shenanigans at the SBC. Churches rise and churches fall. Denominations rise and denominations fall. Of the seven churches written to in Revelation, five were charged with serious sins. Only Smyrna and Philadelphia were not rebuked, but were encouraged and praised. These two churches apparently have continued to this day in unbroken succession. And if that's true, the churches that had their candlestick removed was 71% meaning there was only a 28% success rate. And given the percentages from the rest of the Bible, for example, only eight humans saved in the world on the ark, Jesus said many are called, few are chosen. There was only one out of the four soils that was productive. Only three righteous saved from Sodom. Then the percentage seems to be consistent. So, therefore, do not be surprised because sin overtakes an organization. If sin is not firmly rebutted to the least iota, it will grow like a poison weed. And that's when Jesus moves his hand in heaven to take care of the problem. To finish up, 
The best thing to do is keep doing what the Lord calls us to do. For some, it's to fight against a denomination's decline. But for most others, it's to persevere in the tiny sphere in which he has placed us. And that is something with which to be content. Most of us are called to small work. and The mustard seed is in his hand and he grows it or not. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. Thank you for listening. I think this was my longest one to date. I will post the links I've mentioned, plus three for further reading in the show notes. I hope you stay cool. I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you for listening. This is Elizabeth Prada for The End Time.